Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for catching the show and being with us today, wherever you're watching or listening. Well, today we're going to talk about the office market, and we're going to specifically look at office landlord strategies. So if you're investing in commercial real estate or office properties or you lease any properties, you might find it very interesting. And office has been a little interesting lately, what's been going on. If you look, we've had good, strong job growth in most markets. You know, we've had little to no, to less supply being built in a lot of markets around the country. But then we've had some other things happening with the office market. We've had some companies, a lot of companies looking to use less square footage per employees. We've had people doing telecommuting. So, you know, the, the market's in a little turmoil. Let's see what's happening today. Well, first we'll talk with CoStar and look at the market. After that, we'll talk with Mike Lipsy, the Lipsy company, and talk about some strategies for leasing more space, raising your NOI, and the value of your property. Please welcome my first guest, Hans Nordby. He's with CoStar. He's the managing director of CoStar Portfolio Strategies. He's joining us on the phone. Hans, thanks for being with us. Michael, thank you so much for having me today. So, Hans, what are tenants seeing? What are landlords dealing with around the country today related to rental rates and uh, occupancy? Well, first of all, we're seeing a slowing in rental rate growth, Michael, to 1.7% year-over-year versus over 5% back in 2015. Wow. So that's quite a slowdown. And that slowing in rent growth, it stems from an over 40% spike in new office deliveries this year in 2017 versus 16 by the time all the deliveries are done this year. So to put that in perspective, 2017 is going to be the first year in this real estate cycle, which we'd say started in 2010, when the recovery began, in which net office completions are going to outpace absorption. But since we're at a 10.2% national office vacancy rate as of the second quarter, um, the office market kind of needs new construction on average. So not as much fun for landlords, but the markets are functioning and they're still very healthy, Michael. Right. And it's always interesting because, you know, we're headquartered here in Atlanta, and we haven't seen much new supply. We've really seen our rates uh, spike up. But the tenants, uh, you know, around around the uh, uh, market, you know, in some markets like Atlanta and some other markets, they're seeing some pretty strong uh, rate, rate growth. So, But you're starting to see it slow down a little bit. So what's that mean for the future for rental rates moving forward? Well, we continue to see strong. 8 to 10% rent growth in some markets, as you alluded to earlier, uh, Michael, particularly the East Bay in California, which is kind of a spillover market in San Francisco and the tech market, but it's coming into its own. Um, but that'll slow down because San Francisco rents have already slowed with new construction. Other markets with strong rent growth include Charlotte and Seattle. They're posting about 7% numbers, also strong. Other markets were nationally office rent growth is generally slowed to between one and three as i mentioned earlier one point seven percent average most of that's because construction's killing a lot of the upside and that's but an annual basis the, right not quarterly uh... annualized right. yes sir okay. um, but what i would also say is is there are some some real interesting stories within this so houston for example new york and san francisco so office rents have been in decline in houston for a while along with the energy market crash um, uh, that's been happening for a while, but this is the first time this cycle for the central business district, CBDs of New York and San Francisco, where we've seen a 1% year-over-year decline in rent. Mm. So even in New York and San Francisco, the two investor darlings in the country, the leading ones, we've seen a decline. New York, 
the reason for rent stems mainly from the high level of construction and generally kind of soft tenant demand. So it's not just construction. So, for example, New York now has 21 million square feet of office construction underway. And that's about a 10-year supply of new space, uh, given the fact that net absorption in the market's averaged under 2 million square foot annually for the past five years. Now, it's more complicated than that. It's not going to take 10 years to absorb this. There's ups, there's down. You know, we're we're not forecasting a very near-term recession, so that average includes recessions. And there's also the conversions of old office buildings to residential, which will take some of the inventory out. But net-net, that's a a fair bit of supply for New York. You know, other markets that we see, um, San Francisco, construction activity is even more aggressive. uh, Since the 9 million square foot of in-process construction is a 5% increase in the office stock, which is more than double that in New York on a percentage of stock basis. So for tenants and for landlords, this changes the game. For tenants, the increase in new supply nationally has given more buying power back to the tenants, especially relative to 15. However, that plays out differently in some different markets, depending on where, where you're sitting. So let's talk about that. So relatively speaking, of course, you can get a good uh, deal in New York if you're a tenant today. Uh, But where are some other markets where tenants, uh, maybe a corporate headquarters or a larger tenant may get a good deal? Well, it's interesting you should say that, Michael, because when you say corporate headquarters and major tenants, they hit the news. Um, Generally, they look for such large blocks of space that um, uh, it comes down to the number of large blocks of space available. Uh, some markets around the country, you mentioned Atlanta earlier, but, but, but several around the country, San Diego comes to mind, um, and some other markets have relatively low levels of construction, and that doesn't just hit your nominal vacancy rate, although it does, but it also means there are fewer large blocks available for a large tenant, which means you're, you're more likely to get build-to-suit activity. And... Uh, in a lot of these markets, they're build-to-suit type markets. So if you look at Minneapolis or San Diego or Atlanta, they're the types of places that quite oftentimes a big corporate tenant says, hey, I can find a space. It's, you know, it's not like San Francisco where it's no end of litigation to get the zoning and, and, and a long timeline to get it built, and you'll see kickoffs of build-to-suits. We saw that in Houston several years ago when the oil market was so hot. So I think, to your point, some of those big tenants are going to start kicking off in markets like Atlanta, San Diego, Minneapolis, because they're big tenant markets. They tend to have Fortune 500 firms, not so much San Diego, but the other two. And um, there aren't that many big blocks of space available. So while construction activity in terms of inventory underway has pulled back a little from 147 million square feet underway at the end of 16 to about 143 million square feet in the pipeline today. We could see some lumpy stuff in any number of cities that'll that'll cause some some pops. Right. Hope that's not the 20 minute answer or one minute question, Michael. But that's yeah. that's how we see it. Yeah, well, that's great. We're talking with Hans Nordby. He's with CoStar. We're talking about the U.S. office market. So, Hans, what are um, some some of the factors that are really impacting the office market moving forward. You mentioned new supply levels in some markets, but what else might impact the market moving forward? Well, you know, the, the, the magic asterisk here is that we're assuming no recession. You know, we are eight years into an economic cycle, and on average, economic cycles are supposed to last 5.7. <laughs> so, 
that's, you know, this is a little long in the tooth. Now, from what we see, and you mentioned at the beginning of the, the call today, uh, Michael, job growth has been quite good. And in addition to that, uh, corporate profits have been rising for a couple quarters in a row. They were rough about a year ago, but they've been rising three quarters in a row. Leading indicators are generally positive. Energy prices are low, makes it a lot more livable for Americans and helps their spending power. So we don't see what's the precipitative factor in a recession in the next year. But if I'm a real estate investor as uh, and manager, as, as your, your listeners are, I'm watching out for that next recession. And I would bet on it happening, you know, two and a half to three and a half years out. So that's something as a landlord I would watch out for and try to move more towards, you know, longer leases and better quality tenant. So that's a, a major trend, but it's kind of hard to put your finger on this week. You also mentioned at the beginning of the call, lower square foot per worker. Yes, that's important, but I think that's slowing down a little bit hmm. for a couple of different reasons. One, we see it in the numbers in terms of the decline in the number of square feet per worker in many markets. Um, and I don't have the specific number for Atlanta in front of me, but recently we saw Atlanta square foot per worker stabilize and maybe even tick up by half a foot. Well, this is for a couple different reasons. One, hey, the unemployment rate in the 4% range, that's tight. It's hard to get people that you actually want. There are, they've already got a job. One of the ways you get people is you have high-quality space and you don't stick them in a shoebox. <laughs> um, so that is a pushback, especially in a market like Atlanta, where while rents are up, they're not out of hand compared to a San Francisco or a New York. So it's not that expensive to put your people in good quality space. So that's a mega trend that I think is playing out depending on which market you're in, a lower barrier, higher vacancy, lower rent market, or, or a very, very tight market. And the second thing that will affect all markets is demographics. You know. The millennials, their peak year is 1990 for their birth year, so on average they're 27. You know, when you're two, three years out of undergrad and you just got a job, and your idea of privacy might very well be headphones. <laughs> you know, I'm 50. My idea of privacy is not headphones. <laughs> Tragically, these people will turn 35. They might do something crazy like, like move to the suburbs. They might want a whole desk to themselves. These things don't support a lower square foot per worker. So overall, I think there are some other macro trends at work here that, yes, we'll have a lower square foot per worker, but a, a lot of that's played out already. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think when the economy was uh, was not doing well, companies were looking for ways to save cost. Um, there mm -hmm. was, um, you know, people, it was easy to get employees and retain employees. Okay, let's right. cram them in small space. Uh, but now it's tightening up. The job market's tightened up, and I, I agree. When we do tenant rep uh, in the Atlanta market, and you know, it's all about retention. It's about recruiting. It's about having a nice space that uh, people want to come to work and actually get out of their home and not telecommute and and be in your office. Well, yeah. uh, Hans, what about uh, what would be a tip that you could leave our listeners with? Uh, for, for landlords or investors or developers uh, on the office side of the market? Well, I would go back to what I said earlier. Times are good today. While rent growth is slowed, it's still positive, and vacancy rates are pretty low. And of course, I'm taking a national average here. It's different depending on which market you're in. But as a blanket statement, I would say, you know what, if you think that trees don't grow to the sky and there'll be a recession in three years, I'd get the longest lease terms that you can get your hands on and try and get some tenant credit today. You might be glad you have it three years from now. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, Hans, thanks for joining us on the show today, and uh, appreciate you being on. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. And uh, stay with us. We're going to have more on the office market. In fact, next we're going to have Mike Ellipsy with Ellipsy Company, and we're going to share some great strategies for leasing space and improving your income on your office properties. And this segment is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions in the southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Well, today we're talking about the office market, and we're specifically focusing on landlord strategies. In a moment, we're going to talk to Mike Lipsy with the Lipsy Company and get some ideas from him how to increase your rents and NOI. And before that, we're going to talk to Eric Harris. He's Senior VP with Corporate Office Services at Bull Realty. Now, this segment is brought to you by Real Crowd, and Real Crowd's interesting you can invest small amounts of money in large institutional commercial real estate deals online right now. Check it out at realcrowd.com. Like I said, we have Eric Harris with us. Eric, thanks for joining us in Studio One. Thanks for having me here. Pleasure. So, so Eric, it seems like that a lot of landlords, when they're leasing their space themselves or they use third party, sometimes they're not satisfied with what's going on. You know, they have too, they feel like they have too much vacancy. So let's talk about some tips. So what would you say to a landlord to to help them lease space better? Well, for starters, um, most people should know this, but you want to make sure you hire a professional. That's um, I use the phrase on par. Par. Yeah, you want to you want a representative that's kind of proactive. That's the P. Um, you want them to also be assertive, um, and then you also want them to be responsive. Yeah. So you know to to talk through it. I mean, proactive. You you want them to know the market. You want to know the type of users that might be of interest to your spaces, um, and you want to then go after them. You want to go after them either via mail, email, some type of strategy um, to let them know that you've got space available for them. Yeah, and I think some people may think that's logical that you know a landlord rep that's leasing office space might be contacting tenants, but from what we've seen from being tenant reps is a lot of times they're really not. They're, they're kind of waiting for tenant reps to bring them deals, right, or the here, tenants here. to call. <laughs> true. That's very true. Um, we just, there's another part, if we move on to the A part, assertive. Mm -hmm. uh, you just want someone that's assertive and aggressive even, um, that's going to go after business, not sit back and wait, yeah. um, like we've talked about. And um, you just have to be able to bring business for the landlord. That's why they hired you. Um, not just handle some paperwork. Yeah, you're not just the resident manager or the like the residential agent sitting in a model home, right? Right. Waiting for buyers to come along. And part of being proactive, is that also um, doing proposals for tenants that maybe haven't asked for one? Correct. Uh, a lot of times I could see a landlord representative just waiting for the LOI mm -hmm. or waiting for a request for a proposal, but 
you already know what you can offer or mm -hmm. you've thought through it hopefully why not go ahead and give that proposal out um, so that they can maybe move forward at a quicker pace uh, or help them with some questions they might have yeah I think that's a great idea I mean you know if you see someone that you think they're a good tenant mm -hmm. you know maybe the tenant the guy running the business or running the, the uh, decision is kind of busy they're doing other things and if you show up maybe the proposal in their lap maybe they say look let's work on this you I, never know I, I was thinking about that thanks let's get, <laughs> let's get going <laughs> so what's the R stand for in par uh, you want you want your agent to be responsible yeah. uh, brokers should be responsible and responsive um, if they do send the LOI don't wait two weeks to send back the the proposal yeah. uh, you might want to get it back to them at a quick quick rate um, you also want to make sure that they're responsive just for questions hey I'd like to tour the space tell me about the space you want them to pick up the phone answer the phone answer the questions know the space and just be responsive and and again some people may think that well wouldn't a commercial broker uh, or a in-house person for a for a REIT be responsive but we can tell you from being in the business probably 75 percent of people are not very responsive at all right and it takes them way too long to get back to you yeah and and we understand uh, you get busy I don't. I don't want things now. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. I want it now. Give it to me. Yeah. But uh, but uh, no matter what, uh, you have to make the most time, uh, most most of your time, mm -hmm. and you've got to do the right thing for your landlord. I yeah. mean, ultimately, you uh, report to them and want to help them make the most of their asset. So yeah. why not be responsible? Yeah, and I, I think that's true. And then and you know if you call on a landlord or a landlord rep uh, and you're a tenant rep, and I think you want to get a call within 24 hours at least. And you know, when I get a call that's two, three, four, five days later, I'm like, well, they, they might not be on the list, you know, depending on how fast I'm moving. I, I tell you what, as a tenant rep, I do a lot of tenant rep, um, if you call me back four or five days later, you're going to have to spend five minutes reminding me what I called you about four or five <laughs> days ago. I've, yeah. I've moved on. You, you've moved on. You've, you've already leased that, that, done that deal, right? <laughs> They're sold. They're done already. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you, you recently took over a building. Um, in the Atlanta market that had a lot of vacancy uh, mm -hmm. and it was professionally being leased but it wasn't leasing tell us uh, you know a tip of how you increased that vacancy what within a year you took it from what 30 40 to 80 90 percent yeah so so give us a tip there well um, we just thought about the marketing mm -hmm. uh, kind of did a dive into the way it was marketed before um, there was not much of a tenant change uh, initially but what we did was we decided to change the way we looked at marketing it to people. Mm -hmm. We came up with really nice flyers. We came up with a great program and a consistent program for sending out information to fellow brokers. Mm -hmm. um, always want to make sure your brokers and tenant reps are, know about your building and reward them for it. Make sure you give them a good fee. Uh, you know, There's not a standard fee, but there are uh, fees that are out there that people are kind of used to. So we always make sure we've got a good fee and we cash out. Um, the other thing that we did is we went in with a rate and the way that we positioned the rate um, made it look very attractive. We went in with a net uh, base and, and threw a cam on top of it rather than a blown up full service price. Right. And for those of you who might not be in the office market a lot, a lot of the rates are quoted as a grace, gross rent, full service, that includes all the expenses, so it's a higher rate per square foot. But if you quote it as a net rent, it's a lower dollar per square foot. Right. And let's face it, a lot of people are looking online today. You know, they're in some sort of system and they may be looking for an area and then a rate rate per square foot or less, mm -hmm. right? And if you, you quoted yours as gross, it might be on less list. And you just want to talk to them to get it started, right? Yeah, nothing like getting that phone call from a tenant and, hey, tell me more. Tell yeah. me more. And that, that opens the door and opens a conversation and that's the start of everything. Yeah. 
Well, what would be another uh, final tip to, to close our segment out for, for landlords or if you prefer to go to tenant? Well, uh, we could finish out on landlord. Uh, prospect, prospect, and prospect. You want, your, you want your broker to actually reach out into the market. And I know we briefly touched on this, but reach out into the market and prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that might sound new to a landlord. <laughs> but from a tenant rep's perspective, if you, if you apply your tenant rep mentality uh, as a landlord rep, uh, you're going to gain more business, more hits, quicker, um, and then you're going to have more control um, over the responses and the information that you're giving out and, and yeah. receiving. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to what you said about compensation because uh, we've had uh, some great landlords on our show, and one of the things that they do is, is they really take care of tenant reps. They pay them quickly. Yeah. They pay full service. They pay full commissions to tenant reps. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen some smaller landlords that aren't as experienced, you know, they come in and say, all right, well, what do you mean a commission and a half? What do you mean I got to pay a tenant rep a full fee and give my landlord rep that's doing my work a half a fee? And they just want it to be one fee. Well, the problem there is now maybe they're only offering the tenant rep a half a fee. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with human beings that are trying to make a living, right? right. So, you know, they may or may not put your, your property on their list. Right. So, you know, offer a full fee, make sure that your offer your landlord rep is getting paid properly and that he's offering a full fee to your tenant rep because, you know, you want it on the list, you want tenant demand. And look, you just negotiate separately. So if you're looking if your landlord you think commission half sounds high, well you just negotiate accordingly. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can get more prospects, you know, in the room. And one of the things that, that you had mentioned earlier that I want to see if you'd share you know, with our listeners and viewers is the concept of a retainer. Uh, you know, because a lot of these office owners are, have pulled this stuff in-house mm-hmm. and they're having employees kind of try to handle the leasing. Now they're trying to lease their own property. Now they've got another employee and sometimes that doesn't work. So there's another method to consider, right? Yeah, and, and one of the key words you mentioned was try. <laughs> right. uh, you know, folks will try to bring this in-house. And really, it's it's uh, I think it's a comfort factor. Uh, if you have a third-party uh, agent, you might not feel comfortable with the reporting. You might not know what's going on, or you, at least you feel that way. So you want that you want to bring it in-house. But to, to speak about a retainer, if you are paying your broker on top of their commission um, to do some of the things we mentioned, to paying them to make sure they're proactive, making sure they're telling you about the marketing, making sure that there's an open line of communication, um, that will give you the comfort zone that you need. And it's 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 a good thing to do uh, if you want them to be active. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, as an example, maybe you pay them two thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. and they spend a certain amount of time where they're calling on tenants and they're reporting that to you, mm-hmm. right? Just like an employee would, and that that would make me feel comfortable as a landlord of my buildings. You know, we lease our buildings here at our shop that I own, but you know, if I'm using a third party, I'd like to say, all right, instead of having to to hire an employee. Yeah, let me give you two grand a month, but I want you to report a certain amount of hours and a certain amount of calls, mm-hmm. and let me know what happened on those calls. Now I feel good that you're being proactive. Yeah, yeah, and then you see some value. You see some value, and um, and you don't have that worry about uh, a, um, a broker that's just trying to sit and, and wait. Yeah. yeah. Well, good stuff, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And stay tuned. Right after the short break, we're going to have Mike Lipsy and get his slant on some landlord issues and some tips for raising rents, raising vacancy, and NOI. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. 
Hi, this is Michael Ball. Check out Plum Lending, the $1 to $25 million commercial real estate specialist. Plum offers you speed, certainty, and preferential terms because it's all driven by technology. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. That's GetYourPlumLoan.com. Build out the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment is brought to you by Valuate Online Investment Analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. Today we're talking about office investment, office leasing strategies, and we have a wonderful guest for you now. We have Mike Lipsy. Mike is founder of the Lipsy Company, and they train and consult with corporations, with uh, commercial real estate service providers with REITs and institutional owners of office properties. And Mike's here in Studio One. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Well, Mike, you are in all these offices around the country and, and around the world. You know, we've all seen these kind of latest trends of, of, uh, of the WeWork kind of space and the uh, more people per square feet. We've seen kind of open office spaces. What are some of the more recent trends that you're seeing? Is any of this stuff backfiring? Well, I think of myself as a plumber. Uh, I, I travel 220 days a year just this week alone. I've worked Atlanta the last couple of days. I worked Greenville, South Carolina, Gainesville, Georgia the day before. I worked Greensboro, North Carolina the day before that, and Raleigh the day before that. So I spend lots of time on the property with my clients, with the brokers. Um, and let me just tell you a couple of trends. And one that's interesting is one that I forecast 20 years ago. And matter of fact, Jennifer in our office tweeted out something. Here were Lipsy's predictions 20 years ago. I said, if you take an office building, an office building should really have sort of three sections. One should be those five and 10 year leases make up a big part of your rent roll. Then the second should be those like Regis, you know, that are the incubators. But then you should have something in between that I have been a proponent of for years. It's that 1,500 square foot pre-built, ready to go, no negotiating, take it as is, pay $2 a square foot more than you would traditional space, but it's ready. There's no TI, you move out in two years, seven page lease, not a 37 page lease, you can get a premium, and now we're starting to see that. The space that's tough to lease, let's say on the second floor, that mess space that's been vacant for 18 months and you're trying to figure out what to do with it. When you take that 18,000 square feet and you cut it up into about 14 to 1600 square foot pre-built, ready to go, and people take it as is, and they take it within a week, and they're paying rent 10 days later. Mm -hmm. So now if you can imagine a stacking plan of an office building today, you see the office suites, very popular. Then you see the 1,500 square foot, and you're incubating those tenants that will eventually become a 2,000 square foot five-year uh, five user. So that's kind of how I look at office buildings today, and frequently I'll go into office buildings. We're working on one right now where we went to the owner and we said that mess space has been vacant for years. You've generated no revenue off of it. It really would be cool office suite space. So those are kind of some of the trends that we're seeing right now. And is there a little bit of a pushback from some of these uh, owners, especially institutional owners, about really building out and, and getting space ready when they don't have a tenant? Well, not really, because when you think about traditional space, you're going to do $40, $50, $60 a square foot of TI for a five-year lease. The tenant moves out after five years and you rip out perfectly good TI, 
to come back and spend another $50 a square foot. So over a 10-year period, you've spent over $100 a square foot, $50 times two. Alternatively, you say, I've studied the market. I know what the average user is who has you know, got a little flexibility, and they don't need build-out. They need you know, private offices. They need a conference room. They need a reception area, and you build that out. You'll only do the build-out once. And so now you'll do the build-out $50 a square foot, but you won't have to do it in five years. Yeah. But here's the real plus. You'll get two or three dollars a square foot in premium because now you're able to give flexibility to this user who doesn't need to sign a five-year lease. They're going to sign a two-year lease. And for the privilege of doing two years versus five, they'll say, I'll pay a premium in rent. Another benefit, there's no escalations, there's no pass-throughs. All that is pre-calculated in the lease. So now you're able to re reduce operating expenses by 38 cents a square foot because now your accounting department doesn't have to be cranking out base year and escalations year after year after year. So it's a much more efficient model. And then hopefully that 1,500 square foot user grows, becomes a 3,000 square foot user, and then you're going to move them into another place in the building. And I like your point there. So it's not all the building, it's a portion of the building, because if it was your entire building's like that, then the lenders start worrying about it, and the investors looking at your property say, well, you don't have any long-term leases. I like that. Mike, you mentioned kind of the shared office space, the Regis model. What do you say to a property owner who says, all right, I'm going to take a floor, and I'm going to operate that myself. Should they operate that themselves, or should they go with a third party kind well, of Regis? Well, we've worked with Regis for years. When they started off in Europe, we worked with them from, from the very beginning. And historically, those who run their own, you know, small, sweet space, not the 1,500 square foot, but the Regis model, it's not successful. And I see it over and over again. It takes a trained staff that knows how to lease, that knows how to run an operation, that knows how to provide infrastructure, and it's not something you want to experiment with. So my experience has been it's a tough business because it's like the health club business. You're churning all the time. And so you've got to be leasing all the time. You've got to be marketing all the time. You've got to be advertising all the time. And if you've just got one office that you've got office suites in, it's just tough to justify the advertising budget that's required. Just think about the amount of advertising that you hear about Regis. I mean, national advertising. That's expensive. And so it tends to be tough for a local owner to have one you know, office suite and hope to make it successful. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Mike, let's say that I'm an institutional owner and I have a 120,000 square foot office building. Yeah. I've got more vacancy than my peer buildings, yeah. than my competitors. What are some of the things I might want to look at to see if there's a problem? Well, the first thing you want to look at is what we call the ratios. And uh, frequently we produce what's called the Lipsy Index. And we do it all product types, most submarkets. And the index is granular. It is, what is the velocity in that marketplace? For example, how many sign calls do I need to get before I set an appointment to show the space? How often do I have to show the space before I generate a proposal? How many proposals do I have to generate before I get a letter of intent? It's quantitative. And I'll take the index and then I'll, I'll overlay it on what's actually happening in that property. And nine times out of 10, if they are substantially vacant compared to their peer buildings, they're not even close to the Lipsy Index. So that's the first thing I look for. So then you need to fix what's happening at the property. Oftentimes you need to change the leasing team. Sometimes it's pricing. Sometimes what's happening is, is your $3 a square foot over and they don't even want to see the building. Sometimes your concessions are not competitive. So it's not always the leasing team that's the problem. Oftentimes it's the pricing that the landlord has pushed down the throat of the broker is the problem. So we, but, but we now have something quantitative to approach the owner and say, you're not even close to our index, we need to fix a couple of items. 
And so that's the first thing we tend to study before we start making recommendations. Yeah, well, that's good because I'm probably there's some landlords out there that don't even have any of those kind of numbers. No, wait, wait. <laughs> None of those landlords no. have that number. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's 1%. Yeah. And when they see the numbers, particularly, and most asset managers are bright, when they see it, they love it. And here's the reason why. And I know that you're getting ready to ask me another question. Mm -hmm. But let's say the index is... For every four tours, you generate a proposal, okay? But now you see your tours go way up. You haven't signed a lease, but the tours go way up. The guidance you give your owner is we should be thinking about changing our pricing. You know, we've got more pricing power. We're seeing more demand. So the reason once they understand the concept of the Lipsy Index, they say we're able to adjust our pricing quicker less concessions, more rent if we're seeing greater demand. So that, those are the early indicators that demand's improving. And then also you got the flip side, where you th thought you were gonna do four tours and you're doing one tour, you know, now all of a sudden you need to make sure that, you know, we need to reduce our base rent, we need to give more concessions. We all know recessions don't last six months, they last a while. And all good, you know, enlightened landlords know, go ugly early, you know. <laughs> So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, mm -hmm. but, 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 but there's more to that story because it's the early indicators of how I should change my pricing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and one of the guests we've had on our show is Jim Bacata with Highwoods, institutional owner. You know Highwoods yep. well. Uh, we're in the top floor of one of their buildings here in Studio One in the Bull Realty office. One of the things that they like to talk about uh, on air is that, look, you tenant reps, we will pay you full commissions and we will pay you quickly. Is that something also as a landlord you might want to look at to see how are you compensating tenant reps and treating them right? I'm going to tell you a great story. Mm. So for years we did work for equity office. They had 150 million square feet. And, uh, and so they hired either Bain or McKinsey, I think it was Bain, to study how they could lease more space quickly. They paid a fortune and Bain comes back and says, here, pay the brokers quickly, <laughs> pay them full market commissions, and even if it's a renewal, don't fight with them. Pay them a market fee because they'll be less inclined to take the tenant out of the building. Now, they paid a lot of money for that study. So I never forget telling my dear friend who was the director of leasing at that time, I would have given you that advice free on the phone. You didn't have to hire Bain to know that. And so I can't tell how many landlords they have to fight with that they, that they want to argue with their tenant reps and they can't take paying the tenant reps. 90% of today's leasing is done by the way of the tenant rep. They're your client. You know, that's how you, the tenant is your guest, but the broker is your client. Think of it that way, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you'll start paying them generously, and you'll have good relationships with them, and you'll take them out to lunch. The first place a good leasing campaign begins is developing good working relationships with the best tenant reps in your marketplace. That's where it starts. Yeah. And then that way you'll see more tenants. The negotiation won't be as tedious as if you've got an adversary sitting across from you. Yeah, very good point. One of the things I've seen as a tenant rep is that the either the third-party broker representing the office building owner or uh, their in-house people are a little lackadaisical. They're not very responsive. I would say, you know, 80% of the time I'm pretty disappointed with the lack of response, uh, and they just don't move very quickly, maybe just compared to a tenant rep's uh, excitement yeah. level. How, as a landlord, as an investor in an office building, do you know if you're leasing people, whether in-house or third party, are being lackadaisical? How do you find out if they're not being aggressive enough? It's not that they're lackadaisical. The DNA of a landlord rep is different than the DNA of a tenant rep. 
as is the difference in the DNA in a capital markets broker, as is the DNA in a mortgage banker. And so the first thing you need to recognize, uh, a good landlord rep is a mechanic. Uh, their DNA is, I'm not going to make a bunch of sales calls. I mean, their natural disposition is, I want to report to you, I want to facilitate, I'll study the lease. Where a tenant rep is making 25 outbound calls a day, they're running at 10,000 RPMs, it is a different personality. And that's why you need to measure your landlord rep. You need to make sure that they understand what you expect for them. Not just call on tenant reps, but we do expect you to call directly on some users. And so that's a whole different discussion altogether. But you got to be realistic. A landlord rep is not a tenant rep, and if they were, they'd be a tenant rep because tenant reps get two-thirds of the fee in most marketplaces, right? Right. And so a landlord rep is just a different personality. They need to be managed differently than you would manage a tenant rep. So that's the first recognition. Yeah. Now, quickly to answer your question, what we do is we tend to put a younger future tenant rep on the landlord team. That young'un will make the outbound calls and tee up the experienced landlord rep. And the experienced landlord rep is very good at the tour, and they're very good at negotiating, they're very good at documentation. They're just not going to make any outbound calls. I don't care what you do. You can pay them three times the fee. It's just not in their personality. So you've got to recognize, how do I construct the team using technology and using my younger brokers to bring more prospects to the building and then have a good experienced landlord rep manage the mechanics? I've seen some smaller buildings where the management is also the landlord rep. Might that be a mistake if you, the personality is different from a tenant rep and a landlord rep is also just someone that's doing commission leasing different than maybe a property management personnel type? Well, there really are two discussions within that question. One is, have we decided to go self-leased? And, and a number of my clients have gone self-leased over the last couple of years because it's not that they want to save on commissions, it's they want to be able to manage the process more effectively. Now, there's a, there's a second part of your question is, if I understood it properly, is a property manager a good leasing agent? In most cases, no. Yeah. They are very good at providing service. They're very good at running operating budgets. They're very good at maintaining and correcting variances, but it's just not in their DNA. So imagine you've got a tenant rep, very aggressive. Then you've got a landlord rep that's kind of here. Moving down the continuum, then you've got a property manager who's very good with operations, very good with budgets but they just oftentimes are a little uncomfortable in the process. Now where you would see the difference would be in a Regis, where they're managing that office, but they're also very skilled at leasing. You also see it in self-storage, where that manager tends to be good at operations and very good at leasing. PS Business Park's one of our good clients. You would see that kind of hybrid. But in traditional offices, because the buildings are larger, and they're more complicated, you tend not to see a good property manager also being a good leasing agent. That would be you know, sort of an exception. Yeah, well, that's a good tip. And we're going to take a short break. When we get back, I want to ask Mike about, well, how do you pick a team? How do you pick a broker uh, to do your leasing for your property? And how can you help them uh, increase your occupancy in your building? So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit RealCrowd.com. Choose between Core, Core Plus, Value Add, or Opportunistic. Visit RealCrowd.com.
Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for being with us. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Plum Lending. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. They do online commercial mortgages. Do check them out. Well, we have a great guest in Studio One today. We have Mike Lipsy, founder of The Lipsy Company. And, Mike, we're talking about some tips for landlords for leasing office space today. So let's say that uh, I want to choose a third-party provider to lease up my office space. What are some tips for choosing them? You know, our practice is divided between training and consulting. And uh, half the practice in consulting is helping teams win large listings, office, retail, industrial, investment sales. And so they bring me in and they say, Mike, help us uh, win this assignment. And let's say you've got two weeks to prepare for this major listing presentation. The first question you've got to ask the owner is share with me the three most important objectives that you have as it relates to awarding me this assignment. And the client oftentimes is going to come back and say, uh, uh, we want to get to a certain level of occupancy. And you want to drill down and say, what level of occupancy by when? Oftentimes they'll say, we want to grow our revenue. And, you'll, and they'll say, uh, which revenue? They'll say, our net operating income. And then they'll say, we want five to seven year leases because we're refinancing in a year and we want to make sure we've got a lot of term left on the rent roll. The single biggest mistake made by, by landlord reps is making a listing presentation and they do know, not know what is the annualized NOI for 1231. Mm -hmm. It's what the landlord wants. To me, it's the craziest thing, and I don't mean for years, I mean for decades, I, I, I tell the broker, so you're making a major listing presentation, there's 200,000 square feet. What is the forecast for NOI come the end of the year? Well, I don't know, I never asked the question. That's why they're hiring you. Right. But it's always unspoken. If you ask the landlord, they're going to tell you. So now I have the NOI target. It's 2.5 million. That's the NOI target for the end of the year. Now you need to put together a measurable leasing plan that is the roadmap to that NOI. And it is quantitative. And you can do it by reverse engineering. You say, well, if I want 2 million five, but I'm 1 million eight right now, that means I need to do so many leases. But to get to so many leases, I need to do some lease negotiations. And to get to lease negotiations, i got to generate proposals and i got to do tours. And you back into it. And the first test is, is it realistic for me to make that many calls, have that many tours, generate that many proposals, and it's not. Then in the listing presentation, you say, Michael, let me tell you what, we have, we have looked at it hard. We're going to do a great job in each one of those benchmarks. You're not at 2.5 coming to the end of the year. Even if we are exceeding the ratios in every category, you're not 2-5 until the second quarter of next year. You're still going to get hired because you're the first broker to come to in there. To be honest. Well, and articulate. <laughs> right. i got to tell you a great story. Property managers spend months, months in putting together budgets. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? So now uh, the property manager is finishing up the budget, but now they got to call the leasing agent to see how much leasing they're going to do, right? Have you ever seen how that call goes? So I'm going to show you all. Your, your group is going to see. Is this video or just audio? Is video. Both? So they're going to see it for the first time. So the call comes into the leasing agent, mm -hmm. you know, who's having Starbucks. From the property manager who's been working three months on the budget. The call goes like this. Uh, Ellipsy, how much leasing do you think you're going to do? It's the last thing they got to do for the budget. And the leasing agent does this. <laughs> 50,000 square feet. <laughs> Boom, baby. 30 seconds, they can tell you. Out of there. No math. Just, it's like divine intervention, 50,000 right. square feet. Yeah. Well, now watch. Mm -hmm. It's in a year and you did 20,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the property manager gets in an argument every month, every time they submit the P&L because there's a variance. The leasing guy, she gets off the hook, he gets off the hook, they get lunch because they blame it on the market. Right. And so to, that is one of the most important questions you could ever ask me. We have been implementing performance leasing programs for over 30 years. And once an owner becomes, they get it, then they're going to manage their broker or their in-house leasing agent differently. Yeah. But they give too much latitude to the broker. And, and those brokers, and I train more brokers than anyone else each year. And I tell the brokers, you'll win more listings if you, if you demonstrate a more disciplined approach. But you got to start off with the NOI that they want and determine, is it realistic? And if it's not, here's what you will have come the year. Now, for the first time, they can finally budget effectively. So it's about measurement. You asked me about selecting the team. You can't select a team that is not willing to commit to the measurement. Mm -hmm. and, and what's really kind of curious is the number of landlords that let the tail wag the dog. You know, they don't force this discipline on their broker. And there's really two winners. There's not a win-loser. The, the broker wins because they're now disciplined, doing more of what they should be doing. And the landlord certainly wins because now the NOI is more predictive. But you also get to the NOI faster. Here's the reason. There's business development and transaction management when you're leasing. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen to most leasing agents is they do their business development, they find a prospect, they got a space plan, they got to get construction drawings, and that takes time. But while they're doing that transaction management, they're doing no business development. So they close a 10,000 square foot lease and they wake up and say, oh my goodness, you know, now I got to start doing some business development. So the leasing effort really is start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. You want to make sure that you hire a leasing agent that runs a constant parallel campaign, that the team is organized in such a way that someone is always doing business development while someone else on the team is doing transaction management. Well, Mike, what do you say to the landlord or the broker who says, well, Mike, that makes a lot of sense, but based on the compensation of a half a month's rent and 2% and or 2.5%, uh, there's really not enough compensation in, for me to have the kind of staff to do that. Is the compensation model uh, dated there? Is that why a lot of owners bring the marketing in-house so they can pay someone a salary to make calls all day and do some marketing to increase the number of tours? In our performance leasing program, particularly if there's a lot of vacancy, we oftentimes suggest a three-part commission program. One a retainer, one a commission, one a bonus pool. Let's talk about the retainer. A retainer is, I'm going to take fewer listings and give you, your listing more time. And I am going to run a very disciplined approach. If you're pleased with what I did in the month, pay the retainer at the end of the month. If you feel like I did not provide you extraordinary service, you're not under any obligation to pay me the retainer, okay? The retainer tends to be some reasonable number that allows you to give up your other listings and give you more time. So now I come to your owner and I give you this extraordinary performance. I worked the tenant reps, I've made some outbound calls, I did a good job on the tours, I've got a, a lot of stuff in the pipeline. Now you, the owner, at your option, can pay me the retainer or not. But guess what happens? If you decide not to pay me the retainer, more than likely you're not gonna get the next month like the past month, right? <laughs> right. But it's the owner's decision. Right. So now, you, nine times out of ten, if you really worked hard, you get the retainer. Yeah. Now you get whatever might be a traditional commission. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the bonus. You're an owner. If I get you to your NOI sooner 
then budgeted, will you pay me a bonus? If you ask that question a hundred times of a hundred landlords, and I've asked that question a thousand times of a thousand landlords, what do you think their answer is every time? I guess. Heck yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, yes, it's hell yes. <laughs> because they all get it. If you get me to the NOI sooner, the building is now much more valuable than the small bonus that I'm going to pay you. The value that you've created is significant compared to the insignificant bonus that I'm going to pay you. So now that's what we see in today's modern teams. Large amount of vacancy, a retainer, then a commission, and then a bonus for getting to NOI sooner. That makes a lot of sense, and it makes sense for everyone you know, in the stack, the owner, the investors, everyone. So what about, Mike, if you're you own or you're a third-party provider, you're leasing office space, and you're trying to increase the number of tours. You're trying to increase the number of tenants that they come to look at the building. What are some tips there? Well, well first, let's talk about the tour for a second. Mm -hmm. The tour is the at-bat. Yeah. And for years, we've had a wonderful training program called the Perfect Tour. And the Perfect Tour is, how do you set the scene? The reason you want refreshments is because you want to slow the tour down. You want to make sure that you can ask more questions and you can establish better rapport with the tenant rep broker. You want to make sure that there's air freshener in the space. You want to make sure that the building engineer is trained to hold the door open. You want to make sure there's reserved parking for the tenant rep. You want to make sure that you're using iPads when you're doing the tour, not old dated brochures with white tape all over it. So to me, the tour is the at-bat. And, and there is best practices just for that. The way that you increase the tour is you increase the denominators that get you to the tours. How do you get more prospects to your web property website? How do you get more sign calls? It means you need to put more e-touches in the marketplace. It, needs, it means you need to contact more tenant rep brokers. So tours are a function of the denominator that came before. And all those denominators are e-touches, outbound calls, drop-in to see prospects, drop-ins uh, to drop off small gifts to tenant rep brokers. It's running the right kind of advertising campaign. It's pushing people to the property website. So what is your strategy to get the tours is what is your strategy before the tour to get more prospects there. And, and that's got to be measured also. The market's going to give you so many tours. You know, the, it just will. So let's say the market's going to give you four. But I always want to beat the market in every single category. I want eight tours. But if I have better tours, statistically, if I have the best-in-class tour in the marketplace, I will then generate more proposals. So I'm going to double the amount of tours through my strategy, double the tours, but because my tour is off the chart, I know statistically will say that the, the, land, the tenant will say to the tenant rep, what a special building, and, and the hospitality was fantastic. Yeah, go ahead and get a proposal from them. That is the fastest place to accelerate your leasing, is put on a first-class tour, generating more proposals. I love your training on the perfect tour. And if you haven't checked out Lipsy's training uh, modules and, and, their, and their coaching, you check them out. It's, it's incredible. Well, Mike, before you go, if you can give one more tip for office owners to increase NOI, increase, increase leasing activity, what would it be? Well, it's not just office. It's, you know, because we do office retail industrial. Mm -hmm. It's the first thing you have to do is put in a customer service program that you grow your tenant retention. You, you want to lease first to those who are already there. Right. And what many of my landlords do, they, they've got this huge line item for leasing and entertainment of tenant rep brokers, and they got no line item for tenant retention. They're not putting on any barbecues. They're not, you know, doing special things to show a lot of love to their tenants. So that's where good leasing starts, is keep who you have. Yeah. Because if I keep who I have, 
there's no vacancy. The void cost is, is tremendous because you've got to pay brokers and there's downtime and there's TI. So that's first. The second thing is what is your measured accountability program that you've put in place that ties to the NOI? Here's what oftentimes happens. There's this detailed operating budget on the expense side and there is no quantitative uh, approach on the leasing side. And then make sure that you get a leasing team that's compensated properly, right? That's compensated properly that agrees to adhering to reporting to you every Monday morning what they did and at the end of the month sharing with you what the variances might be, up or down. So that would be my suggestions to, to owners of all product types. Great tips, and I love the taking care of your existing tenants because, like you said, the costs there, if they leave, are, are tremendous. And if you can keep them, boy, you're going to really add to your bottom line. Well, if I may, and this is a book that we now give out because it's in digital form called Tenants or Guest, and it's been a great seller for many, many years. And Tenants or Guest are, you had a decision as a landlord. Is that person in there paying you a tenant, and it's not A-R-E, it's O-R. Are they a tenant or are they a guest? And if you think about that tenant as someone staying in your hotel who can check out the next night, right. then you'll give them the kind of service that they deserve and then you'll see your, your tenant retention. And that's the first thing I look for when I end up on a building. What is your tenant retention? If they tell me it's 40 and 50%, they got a problem. You know, we like to see high 70s, low 80s. That's a good tenant retention number. I like that. So that's a complimentary report? Oh, it's a book that we book. wrote called Tenants or Guests. Uh, brokers are clients, vendors are partners. Okay. And it's one we wrote years ago. You know, we've sold it over and over again, but now it's in digital form, and if they request it, we'll send it to them. Great. Well, we'll put a link to Mike Lipsy's information. Do check it out, Mike. Great information. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, the show website. We love that you are with us, and we have a great show for you next week. Until then, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Real Crowd, crowdfunding with the professionals. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans. Build Out, marketing for your brokerage. Barnes Creative Studios, commercial real estate video production.